I read somewhere recently a paragraph that gave me pause. The author said that one, everything changes. Yep, sounds right. Everything is connected. Again, that one checks out. And three, everything returns, just not the same as it used to be. Oof, <laughs> gut punch. That last thought is just too real sometimes to even think about for too long. But then again, the thought intrigued me, especially in this current moment that we're in where nostalgia is trending as much as it is. I see it all over right now on the internet, in TV reboots from the 90s, which also confusingly includes that 70s show, which was actually from the 90s. <laughs> also offline in 90s music dance parties, fashion, etc. And I also notice an interest or even obsession with nostalgia within myself, a longing for some past time, whether that time was early 2020 or even further back. Maybe you've also recently found yourself wishing for a different time, maybe a time before you experienced a recent loss, or maybe a time of relative stability. Maybe you find yourself thinking about times that seemed better than now, at least in your memory. If so, I hear you, I feel you, you are not alone. But I wanna push back against this nostalgia a bit today by wondering if we're not just falling into the trap of longing for a time when we didn't feel so vulnerable. Vulnerable to change, vulnerable to the realization that we're not in control and vulnerable to our own mortality. How can we accept the feelings of vulnerability when they arise? This is no easy question, but let's just pan out for a second. How are we vulnerable globally, culturally, nationally, communally, with our neighbor, with ourselves? It's pretty hard to dispute how vulnerable we are when a single tweet can affect our economies. Global climate change is constantly worsening, putting us into progressively more danger every day. Mass shootings continue to take the lives of our fellow Americans. We are definitely vulnerable, but how we respond to that vulnerability has deep meaning. As a community right now, we are undergoing some serious changes. In two short weeks, Reverend Sarah will be sharing her farewell sermon and then starting her terminal sabbatical. She hopes to start a new ministry somewhere else in August as does Reverend Roger when he wraps up his interim time with us. August is the same month that our hoped for new settled lead minister should be starting their ministry here with us. And the search process to choose that new minister might be another way that some of us are feeling vulnerable to things that aren't in our control. I do too, some days. But this is the practice of being alive recognizing and living with our feelings of vulnerability. Of course, we might get hurt. We might experience loss. We might dread the changes in store. But we grow, we survive, we resolve, we are resilient, and we thrive. Like the snowdrops in Gluck's poem, we didn't even expect to survive. They said, 
I did not expect to survive, earth suppressing me. I didn't expect to wake again, to feel in damp earth, my body able to respond again. For one more month here at White Bear, we get that privilege to practice trust. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this month ends around the spring equinox. We get the chance to practice trust. Trust in our competent and thoughtful search committee. Trust in the process. Trust that we have three strong pre-candidates who will meet with the search committee and trust that they will pick a strong candidate to come here in April and meet us. And whether it is a community or an individual going through changes, the trust that is needed to survive requires introspection and openness. In her writing, Louise Gluck calls it the art of inward listening. It requires us to face our aloneness and our mortality. Of course, we aren't invulnerable or immortal. Some days I wish that we were, but then I realized that we wouldn't fully appreciate every moment of this precious life if we had no fear of dying. How do we embrace our mortality or become friends with death? I recently encountered a children's book by Wolf Erlbrock that was published in 2007. Ente, Tod und Tulp. Oh, you want it in English? Okay. Duck, Death, and the Tulip. Looks like this. I want to share a few snippets with you today, illustrations included. For a while now, Duck had had a feeling. Who are you? What are you up to creeping along behind me? Good, said Death, you finally noticed me. I'm Death. Duck was scared stiff. And who could blame her? You've come to fetch me? Oh, I've been close by all your life, just in case. In case of what? asked Duck. In case something happens to you. A nasty cold, coughs, an accident, you never know. Are you gonna make something happen? Oh, life takes care of that. The coughs, the colds, all the other things that happen to you, ducks, fox, for example. Duck tried not to think about it. It gave her goosebumps. <laughs> Death gave her a friendly smile. Actually, he was nice, if you forgot for a moment who he was. Really, quite nice. The story continues for a time, and Duck and Death become friends. They travel everywhere together. They go swimming in the pond. And when Death gets cold, because Death is a skeleton, Duck lays next to him to warm him up. The next morning, Duck awakes, happy to find that she didn't die in her sleep, and they begin to chat. Duck tells Death some of her theories about the afterlife. Death just looks at her. Then they climb a tree, and Duck starts pondering her mortality. They could see the pond far below. There it lay, so still and so lonely. That's what it will be like when I'm dead, Duck thought the pond alone, without me. Let's climb down, Duck pleaded after a bit. 
you can start having strange thoughts in trees. Summer was ending, and they went less and less often to the pond. They sat together in the grass, saying little. When a cool wind ruffled her feathers, Duck felt its chill for the first time. I'm cold, she said one evening. Will you warm me a little? Snowflakes drifted down. Something had happened. Death looked at the duck. She'd stopped breathing. She lay quite still. Death stroked a few rumpled feathers back into place. Then he carried her to the great river. He laid her gently on the water and nudged her on her way. For a long time, he watched her. When she was lost to sight, he was almost a little moved. But that's life, thought death. This story has really grabbed me. And I was more than a little moved when I first read it. The symbol of the tulip, not unlike these amaryllis and paper whites that I plant every winter for myself, remind me of the beauty that is there, hiding sometimes, about to break open and bloom. And death in the story is carrying this tulip for most of the story. And for me, it has been a symbol that beauty, like death, is with us for our whole lives. Death and tulip, beauty and mortality, are interconnected and inescapable. Which brings me back to the poem that Nico read for us from the 10th century by Izumi Shikibu. Although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. The house is not impenetrable. There are gaps and cracks in the planks. It is vulnerable to the pain of the wind, but it is also vulnerable to the beauty of the moonlight. What a striking image in such few words. And I think our fear of mortality also relates to our fear of being alone. We don't like the feeling of vulnerability when we're alone, but that's where the richness is. That's where we can practice being alive. There are numerous facets to the vulnerability of being alone. First of all, there is the profound depth there. Not everyone loves spending time with themselves, which reminds me about the best advice I've ever heard for college students, or really anyone for that matter. Take yourself out on a date. Go to dinner alone, or a movie, or a play, a museum, or even a nature walk. Get comfortable with yourself. It's the longest relationship you'll ever be in for the rest of your life. Get used to it. Some people don't like what they see when they're fully alone, without people or devices or books or other content or input, just you and your thoughts. Facing that aloneness can be scary for some, and it's a worthy and worthwhile thing to explore every once in a while, whether on a silent retreat or a solo camping trip or even in a daily meditation practice. This is step one. The shadow side of this being alone relates to those of us who have, especially recently, felt too alone, maybe even painfully isolated. We have too much alone time, some of us, we actually need to risk telling others that we need them, that we need support and community, 
kindness and solidarity, shared meals and a listening ear. For that reason, and just for a few moments, we're gonna engage in a practice of shared vulnerability today. I'm gonna to ask you to turn to a neighbor and discuss something that you learned recently while you were alone. Maybe you learned a lesson or a deeper truth about yourself. Maybe in your solitude, you learned about something you really enjoy or really don't enjoy. We're just gonna take about two minutes here so that each person has about one minute to share. If you're participating on Zoom, feel free to share what you learned in solitude in the chat box and witness the learnings of others as well. I'll bring us back together in just about two minutes with the bell. Feel free to turn to a neighbor you know, or maybe even one you don't know, if you want extra points. I'll bring you back in two minutes. What is something you learned recently while you were alone? Thank you for engaging in that practice. It's always fun to look out and hear all the conversations and connections. You know, we talked a bit about people who are um, maybe feeling too alone. And there's also people who are too often with people and need some alone time. It might feel weird to ask for alone time if you live with a partner or roommates or kids, but we all need it. Our alone time is when we connect to our truest self, to the self who came into the world as an individual, who can choose to live as an individual, and who will die one day as an individual. This self deserves our attention, our care, and our curiosity. Kind of like an amaryllis or a paper white or the snowdrop in Gluck's poem, our self needs water and sunshine, pruning and tending so that we can truly blossom, remembering after so long how to open again in the cold light of earliest spring. Afraid, yes, but among you again, crying, yes, risk joy in the raw wind of the new world. May we all risk joy despite the raw wind of the new world. May we remember how to blossom again despite not believing or expecting that we'll survive. May we find the moonlight sneaking through the gaps between the roof planks. May we befriend our mortality and find the tulip that death carries with him. May we find the stillness and the silence. And may we learn the lessons that solitude and community have in store for us. May it be so, and make it so. Amen.